Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. This week, we're joined by teaching pastor Tammy Melchine as we continue the series, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Remember, you can always find us on Sundays streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there. This is really weird. Is this making anyone else uncomfortable? How many of you felt your anxiety level rising in that moment? It's like we don't know what to do when it's quiet. What did you do? Did any of you start talking to the person next to you? Maybe you started squirming in your seat. How many of you were wondering what was wrong? Me? I was just over there pondering the meaning of life and my role in the universe and (laughs) no, I'm just kidding. I felt as awkward as you did. We're just not used to nothing. In fact, the most common thing I do when there is nothing, I pull out my phone. (laughs) Did any of you do that? This thing is a handheld treasure trove of endless distractions. Sometimes I wonder, before I had this, what did I do when I was waiting in line at a drive-thru or for my turn at the DMV or for a church service to start? The answer? Nothing. I was doing nothing. But nowadays, most of us can't even stay present in a moment of nothing for more than a few seconds. Did you know that a recent study conducted by Microsoft found that the average human attention span has gone down from 12 seconds in the year 2000 to just eight seconds today? Most of us lose concentration after eight seconds. Now, as a comparison, scientists say that a goldfish has a nine-second attention span. That means if I had a goldfish here, he'd likely be able to stick with me longer than you can. So let's just give up and close in prayer. All kidding aside, the reality is many of us will do just about anything to avoid being alone with our thoughts. So we open up Spotify or Netflix or we turn to social media and start scrolling. The problem with all of this? Author John Mark Comer warns, this new normal of hurried digital distraction is robbing us of the ability to be present. Present to God, present to other people, present to all that is good, beautiful, and true in our world, even present to our own souls. And so when a, when a moment of silence is forced upon us, it can feel uncomfortable, unnerving, threatening even. But what if there are realities that can only be experienced if we're willing to stop, slow down, and get quiet? What if solitude and silence is actually the place where we discover God and our own soul. We are in week two of our series, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. This series is based on a book by the same name, by John Mark Comer, who who argues that most of us are afflicted with a malady called hurry sickness. Now, hurry sickness is a sense of, of always striving, but never arriving. Or as cardiologist Meyer Friedman described it, a continuous struggle, an unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less 
and less time. Sound familiar? Most of us live with this hurry sickness, and our, our frenetic pace is cutting off our connection to God, to each other, and even to our own souls. But Jesus offers us a better way. Last week, we heard his invitation. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest, easy, light. Could anybody use a little of that? And yet, in order to experience the life Jesus offers, we have to live the way Jesus lived. And that's why last week we challenged one another to adopt a rule of life. Now, if you missed last week's message, you really need to go back and listen to it. A rule of life is a schedule, a set of practices that help us slow down and avoid getting sucked into the hurry of life. Jesus had a rule of life. We can pick up on pieces of it in the four books of the Bible that reveal how he spent his days. And in his rule of life, Jesus regularly engaged in a practice that was critical to both his well-being and his ability to fulfill the purpose for which he came. It's this practice we're calling solitude. Now, at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, Luke, the physician and author, he gives us insight into how Jesus practiced solitude. Luke writes, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time, and he became very hungry. I find it interesting that the first thing Jesus does when he's ready to start his public ministry is spend 40 days alone in the wilderness. Not the start we would typically think of to get things going. Like, if I had been Jesus' career counselor, I might have encouraged him to, to start things off with a bang. You know, create some buzz to get his profile built up. Maybe go viral on TikTok with a water-into-wine miracle. But that's not what Jesus does. Before any miracle teaching or healing, he spends 40 days alone in the wilderness. And I've always thought of the wilderness as a place of weakness. After all, Jesus has been fasting. He's hungry. He's tired. But I'm starting to realize that the solitude Jesus experienced in the wilderness, it wasn't a liability. It was actually the source of his strength. He was able to overcome the evil one and, and launch into his ministry with power because of this time of solitude in the wilderness. It makes me think about when you or I have some kind of big project or adventure ahead of us. Is starting with solitude our move? I wonder what might happen if it was. And solitude wasn't just a one-time practice for Jesus. It was a pattern, an important part of his rule of life. A chapter later in Luke's gospel, he tells us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He often withdrew 
to lonely places and pray. The Greek here can be translated was regularly withdrawing and praying. Jesus frequently felt the need to withdraw, to be alone with God. In fact, Luke records Jesus withdrawing to a solitary place nine times. Now you might think, well, I guess Jesus was an introvert. Shout out to my fellow introverts out there. But I don't think this pattern in his life says anything about whether Jesus was an extrovert or an introvert. I think it tells us that Jesus knew that in order to carry out the work that the Father had sent him to do, he needed to regularly withdraw in solitude. Which begs the question, if Jesus felt the need to often withdraw, shouldn't we? If the Son of God recognized his need to regularly withdraw and be strengthened, doesn't it make sense that that we need solitude too? Theologian William Barclay once said, it may well be that the whole trouble in our lives is that we give God no opportunity to speak to us because we do not know how to be still and to listen. We give God no time to recharge us with spiritual energy and strength because there is no time when we wait upon him. How can we shoulder life's burdens if we have no contact with him who is the Lord of all good life? Jesus often withdrew to hear the voice of God and to be strengthened to carry out his mission. And yet maybe you're thinking, well, Jesus didn't have a smartphone continually buzzing or a boss that demands I be available 24-7 or five places to be when it comes to the kids' schedules. How can I possibly have time to be alone? Yet I would counter that Jesus lived under constant demands. In fact, the gospel writer Mark records one snapshot from Jesus' life where he and his disciples are so busy that they didn't have time to eat, not even time to swing through the local McDonald's. Now, you know you're busy when you start missing meals. Some of us have been there, right? So many needs, so much to do that it's overwhelming. But do you notice how Jesus responds in this demanding time? He recognizes the need to get away. Come with me to a quiet place, he says. In fact, the busier Jesus got, the more intentional he seemed to be about withdrawing for solitude. It is not easy to practice solitude in our rule of life because there will always be people with with needs and demands. But I'd argue that it was the regular practice of solitude that gave Jesus the energy and the strength to love people the way he loved them and serve people the way he served them. Because this is what happens in the practice of solitude. In solitude, we slow down to hear the voice of God. There are countless voices trying to get our attention every single day, distractions that compete for the limited amount of space in our our mind and our heart, a a phone nearby constantly buzzing, an overcrowded calendar shouting the day's demands, promoters and pundits telling us how we should think about things. With all of the noise in our world, 
We run the great risk of drowning out the voice that we need to hear most, the voice of God. Not only do we hear the voice of God in solitude, in solitude, we remember who we are in Jesus. If we don't take time to be alone with God, the voices that tell us that that we're not good enough, they get louder and louder. The voices that, that tell us that we're failing as a spouse or a parent or employee or friend, they drown out the voice who says to us, you are my beloved child. I love you. We need to remember who we are in Jesus. And in solitude, we open ourselves up to the transforming work of the Spirit. Sometimes I feel like I am not experiencing the the life to the full that Jesus offers me. But could it be that the reason I'm not experiencing His transformation is not because God is absent, but because I'm distracted? Solitude creates an environment where my relationship with God can grow. Solitude is simply a must-have part of our apprenticeship to Jesus. Spiritual writer Henry Nouwen once said, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to Him. So how can we follow Jesus in His rule of life and incorporate solitude into our own chaotic 21st century lives? Well, let me suggest practicing simple moments of solitude and set times of solitude. Let's first talk about the simple ways. Every day provides numerous opportunities to practice these simple moments of solitude. These are moments in our days where we make an intentional choice to be present to God over the available distractions. This can look like enjoying your morning coffee without a device in your hand or the news on the television. Simply sit, enjoy, be present to God as you talk to him about the coming day. It can look like being present to God as you sit on a park bench watching your kids play on the playground. Simple moments of solitude can look like taking a walk without your earbuds in, being present in the moment as your senses open to the sights and the sounds around you. These simple moments can be looking out the window the next time you're a passenger in a car instead of burying your attention in in your device. Simple moments of solitude can be practicing breath prayers. Have you ever practiced breath prayers? A breath prayer is, is a way to meditate on a scripture or spiritual truth as you breathe in and breathe out. For example, you can breathe a breath prayer with the first lines of Psalm 23. As you breathe in, you pray, the Lord is my shepherd. And as you breathe out, you pray, I shall not want. Let's try that together. As we we breathe together, you silently pray, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's go ahead and try it. One more time. Now, imagine doing that over and over again while you're driving in your car or walking through a store or waiting in the school pickup line. 
Here's the thing. I'm pretty sure that you're going to go through the day breathing anyway. So why not try a breath prayer? Breath prayers are a way we can pray without ceasing. I found them to be most helpful when I'm feeling anxious or, or stressed. My favorite breath prayer to pray is simply to pray, my Jesus, I belong to you. My Jesus, I belong to you. That simple prayer, it quiets my fears. It centers my thoughts. It reminds me of whose I am. Our days are filled with numerous opportunities to practice these, these simple moments of solitude. But I also want to challenge you to adopt set times of solitude. Set times of solitude in your rule of life. These, these set times are what some people refer to as having a, a quiet time. Pastor Nikki Gumbel notes, the old-fashioned expression, the quiet time, meaning time set aside to read the Bible and pray, probably has its origins in the words of Jesus, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Jesus was intentional about getting away to a quiet place, and we can imitate him by incorporating set times of solitude into our lives. There are a few things that I found helpful in practicing uh, these set times of solitude. First, uh, pick a place. Maybe it's a, a particular chair in your house or a particular room. I have a loft in my home, and I've set it up as a place set aside to go and meet with God. And when I sit down in that loft, it's almost like everything in me knows what time it is. It helps me focus. It helps me shut out everything else in the house to spend time with God. Second, Pick a time. Figure out what works for you. If you're a morning person, maybe set an alarm 30 minutes earlier to give you time to practice solitude before you enter into the busyness of your day. If you're a night person, set an alarm for when the TV goes off, the phone goes away. All distractions are silent so you can be with God before going to bed. If you have the kind of job or daily routine where your set time can happen at lunch, that's great too. I promise you, if you get in a practice of having a set time to spend with God, eventually you'll feel all out of sorts if for some reason you have to miss it. You'll start to look forward to it, crave it even. Pick a time and live by it in your rule of life. My third and final suggestion, pick a plan. There is no right or wrong way to spend time with God. But if you have a plan for how you will spend time in solitude, it, it will be easier to enter into it. A plan might be a Bible reading plan, like our community daily. It could be a devotional, like the popular Jesus Calling. Uh, for the past few years, I've been setting aside some time in solitude to memorize big chunks of Scripture because I love God's Word becoming part of me. You can also use this time to, to pray for friends, family, and pressing concerns. Now, that's not to say that there won't be days when God throws your plan out the window because he has something else he wants to show you in your set time of solitude. If you form the habit of withdrawing with him regularly, you will be present to his leading. All of these practices, these simple moments of solitude and these set times of solitude, they just provide the space for us to slow down and hear the voice of God, to remember who we are in Jesus, 
to open ourselves to the transforming work of the Spirit. Because remember, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to Him. So let me encourage you to adopt the practice of solitude in your rule of life. In that place, you will learn to be present to God and even to your own soul. Therefore, I want us to conclude today the way we started. I'm going to invite you to enter into a few moments of solitude and silence. And listen, I understand how hard this can be for many of us. We are not used to it. It can make us uncomfortable. But don't just stop the video or leave the room, because I believe that God can do more in just two minutes of solitude than you or I can do in a whole day. So we're going to conclude with a time of solitude. In this moment, our only aim is to be present to God. Close your eyes if you want. Practice a breath prayer if it helps you stay present. I simply invite you to be in His presence.